struggled with the escalator to the tube, spent a night in a student hostel, got herself to Victoria for the train to Paris, and wept. Whenever no one was looking, and even sometimes when they were, tears had streamed down her face. She was quite alone, without home, or job, or future. She had taken the Liverpool boat because she had broken off her engagement with Andrew. She had loved him for so long and been so happy, but their bright hopes had been shattered and she could see no way forward for them. The engines roared and the aircraft rose into the clear sky. The wing dipped over the Hounslow reservoirs as they turned west, and she studied the streams of traffic flowing in all directions the veins and arteries feeding the great city at their heart. She tried to take in every detail of the moving pattern, for she might never come this way again. Moments later, the course correction complete, she caught sight of the Chilterns, wisps of cloud blurring their outline. She moved uneasily in her seat, adjusted the box propped between the window and her left foot. Everyone had said she'd got it wrong, that she and Andrew were made for each other. But after his cousin was killed in a road accident, he'd abandoned their plan to go to Canada and had taken over the running of the Richardson family estates. She'd seen him shoulder the responsibility for his grandmother, his aunt and uncle, his cousin Ginny. In fact, it seemed he'd accepted his obligations to everyone except herself so that all they'd planned together appeared just a beautiful dream. It was not the first time in her life the world had come crashing down around her. Long years earlier, on a hot June afternoon in 1946, she and her young brother William had been taken to the fever hospital outside Armagh by the headmaster of their school. Days later, her mother and father, Ellie and Sam Hamilton, had both died in the typhoid epidemic of that year, leaving them parentless and homeless. She'd found a new home with her grandfather, Robert Scott. And then, only weeks after a scholarship had taken her to university in Belfast, he'd walked down the lane to stand by the anvil in the forge where he'd worked all his life and died instantly of a heart attack. Once again, she'd found herself homeless. The landlord had given her two weeks' notice to dispose of the contents. There'd been help with that sad task from Jack Hamilton, the youngest of her uncles. But dealing with the memories of a house lived in by Scott blacksmiths for over a century was a different matter. Harder still was the loss of what had been her second home, the one she'd lived in for half her eighteen years. Suddenly, the distant pattern of the English Midlands far below disappeared completely. The grey mizzle that swirled around the aircraft and streaked her window with tiny raindrops as they continued climbing into cloud enveloped her in the chill remembrance of that bleak time. After Grandad Scott died, the only comfort she knew came from Andrew's letters and their occasional short phone calls in the dim hall of the house in Elmwood Avenue, where she'd inherited her cousin Ronnie's old student room, after he packed up and headed for Canada. She went on, staring through the window, 
perfectly aware she was rigid with tension. She had never been afraid of flying, had enjoyed all but the most turbulent of flights. But what she could never bear was this grey blanket that removed all light and joy from a world where previously there had been sunshine and colour. She took a deep breath, extracted her book from her handbag, tried to focus on the words on the page. Then, as suddenly as it had disappeared, the sunlight returned. It poured down from a blue sky, glancing off the moist, glistening wing, the view below now one of dazzling white cloud caps. She shut the book gratefully. Yes, she had known the light would return, that above the murk the sun always shone. But no matter how many times it